Well, hey everyone, and welcome tonight. It is the 26th of April, 2021, and another another little podcast here of Your Questions, God's Questions. And tonight we are going to tackle a question that came to me, ooh, I think a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was on Easter Sunday, about the subject of what we sometimes call communion. Uh, But before we get there, uh, welcome to those of you who are on right now. And I would invite you to do the following. Yeah, share the broadcast. Hit that share button. Share it to your friends. Share it to people who maybe aren't your friends, but they're still friends (laughs) on Facebook or whatever, at least. And uh, we try to make this uh, engaging. We try to make it fun. And we try to do it in a way that even a person who's not a Christian or a person from a different religious view would be engaged by it. Uh, So uh, please hit that share button. I I promise you I won't embarrass you. Uh, And if you do, you won't watch anyway. If I do, you won't watch me anyway. So so hit that share button and use the comments section, all right? Uh, That's what makes it fun when we do live. This is supposed to be a live Q&A which means you can ask anything you want on the fly. I always come in with a lead question, um, but you can ask anything you want. Maybe it's something about uh, something that you've been watching uh, from our YouTube channel or our Facebook page or our website. Um, Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's something about God, religion, the Bible, um, and you're putting it out there. You'd like the opportunity to ask a pastor uh you know an opinion about something i would be happy to there are some questions that i can answer right away there's some that i can't but i love answering people's questions and i have found that people of faith people uh in the church often have a lot of questions that are not answered and sometimes they're afraid to ask them uh and uh that's a shame so uh please don't be shy to uh to share away and to ask away If you have a prayer request, uh, you can put that in the comments section as well. I always have a brief word of prayer for you at the end of the broadcast. Last week, we went on a little bit longer than normal. We try to keep this to 730, but we were talking about the subject, what happens when you die last week, and there was a lot of good engagement, so we kept it going. Um, And so, you know, while I want to end at 730, we don't have to. We'll see how uh, engaged a group you are tonight. As we look into this, and I'd remind you that on the 2nd of May, Sunday, we will be meeting at Cineplex Distrante in Brossard. You do need to register for this because of the limitations that we have in the pandemic. We can only put a certain amount of people in the room, Uh, but you can register at our website at citypointchurch.ca. Always great to get together with people. And that's what I found is that people just like to be together and it's the simple things and being able to have a uh, discussion with somebody, you know, you're two meters away from them, obviously, and you're wise and you wear your mask and you wash your hands and all of those things. Uh, but it's it's great to get together with people. So if you want to join us on Sunday mornings, visit our website and you can uh, register for that, we take attendance, we make sure your hands are washed, you come on in, and uh, we've got a live band, and we'll be continuing our series called Losing My Religion, which is a walk through the book of Hebrews in the Bible's New Testament, okay? Uh, we're also working on something for Mother's Day, and a little surprise that we'll have to 
kind of give moms and, and even dads a break uh, that day, uh, something for the kids that we're planning, and we will be meeting at Cineplex that day as well. So uh, anyway, stay in touch, follow us uh, on um, Facebook, uh, subscribe, like, YouTube channel, where also we've got audio content on Podbean and Apple Podcasts. I, th- I think it's still called Apple Podcasts, right? They haven't changed their name yet. Uh, anyway, okay, we're talking about this subject here tonight, and I'm going to share share this and get it on your screen. There you go. Uh, so what did Jesus really teach about this subject of communion? Now, I could have phrased this question differently, uh, but it probably would have been a bit too offensive. Um, but I'm referring specifically to a passage in uh, John chapter 6, and also to uh, a, a different uh, churches' views about communion, specifically the Roman Catholic Church, and also the Lutheran Church, with regard to what we sometimes call communion, or the Eucharist, or the Lord's Table. And the question was put to me, uh, because we were talking about how Jesus, um, how he he relates to us in our humanity, he shared in our humanity, and he suffered, and he suffered death. So he knows what it's like to suffer, he knows what it's like to be fully human, excuse me, he was uh, fully human, And he knows what that's like. And so the author of Hebrews is trying to say that uh, we are brothers, in a sense, with Jesus. He calls us his brothers and his sisters uh, because we are of the same family, because he's not only fully God, but fully human as well. This is what the author of Hebrews is trying to argue in uh, the book of Hebrews. And so the question was put to me uh, about Jesus and suffering and uh, the the emblems at the Lord's table, specifically the juice or in some cases wine and the wafer. Um, you know, do these things literally become the body and the blood of Jesus? After all, didn't Jesus say to eat my flesh, so to speak, and drink my blood? And this is a, wow, I mean, I could have phrased it differently, but it probably would have been too offensive. So I want to use this uh, to to teach uh, tonight. And uh, this is a a principle uh, that I'd like you to learn. When we look at the Bible, okay, the answer to the question is found in this way that we're going to look at the Bible. When we look at the Bible, we approach the Bible and read the Bible with what we sometimes call in in theology a literal, a historical, grammatical approach, or for short, a historical, grammatical approach. And this is um, when we talk about hermeneutics, uh, the, the art and science of interpreting the Scripture, we use that approach. We don't approach the text as an allegory. We approach it with a historical, grammatic, literal historical, grammatical approach. I'll use that term. And what that means is when we look into the Bible, we have to look at the context. So the literary context, we call this. So what type of literature are we reading when we read a certain book or a certain passage in the Bible? Are we reading poetry? Are we reading prophecy? Are we reading 
narrative? Are we reading wisdom literature? Are we reading apocalyptic literature? What type of literature are we reading? And we we are we must respect its genre because we are when we do that we're respecting the author's intent. So when we understand what kind of literature we're reading, it can help us to interpret it. So you don't read the Psalms the same way you read the Gospel of Matthew. When the psalmist refers to the breath of God or the nostrils of God, uh, it he doesn't mean that God has literal nostrils or literal breath like we do. He's using a term, an image, because that's the type of literature that psalms were. And when we understand that, we approach it differently. Another book, uh, Ecclesiastes, is often misinterpreted because people don't understand what kind of literature this is. Uh, this is the type of literature where the author's being sarcastic. It's called wisdom literature, and he's kind of putting um, a, a perspective out there as if there were no God. It's very sad, very sarcastic, very negative perspective. But if you take this this book and you try and read it like the book of Acts, you're doing a disservice to the author's intent, okay? So we look at the at the literary context, we look at the historical context, and we and we try to decipher, all right, what did the author intend? So sometimes people say, well, you Christians are crazy, you take the Bible literally. No, we take the Bible literally in context according to the type of literature, the history of the literature, the geographical history, the, the cultural history. That's called context. We look at the immediate context. We look at the broader context. And you can't take one verse of Scripture or one passage of Scripture even and build an idea and build a concept and build a doctrine without going through a whole bunch of steps first. And that's the problem with this question uh, about eating my flesh and drinking my blood. So, case in point, we go to John chapter 6, and the passage in question um, is in John chapter 6, um, um, verse 53. So, if I start from verse 53... And I just, you know, yank this out of context. I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. I mean, that's something. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your fathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. And he taught this in the synagogue at Capernaum. And on hearing it, it says many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? <laughs> and, and Jesus replies, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. So, And then you ha he has people who walk away from him and who leave him and who leave his ministry at this point. 
Uh, so it's quite controversial, seemingly, what he has said. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, But if we take it out of its context, we can come up with all kinds of conclusions, right? Uh, but here's the thing. When we're reading this literature, this is the Gospel of John. This is a... a, a Clearly, the author intends this as a historical narrative, a telling of some of the events of the life of Jesus of Nazareth. And if we sort of zoom out a little bit and we look at John chapter 6, the whole chapter, not just the passage that's confusing to us, we start by seeing that Jesus does what? Feeds 5,000. Uh, that's food, right? That's eating. So he he. This is a miracle of the feeding of the five thousand. Uh, then you have Jesus walking on water in John chapter six verse sixteen. Then you have Jesus talking about being the bread of life. Interesting. The work of God is this, or sorry, uh, verse verse twenty seven. Uh, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. Well, what food's he talking about, right? Uh, the work of God is this, to believe in the one who he has sent. And then they ask him for a miraculous sign. And they say, our forefathers ate manna in the desert. As it was written, he gave them manna to uh, to eat. What miraculous sign will you do so that we'll believe you? Quite, quite funny. Uh, apparently, they hadn't heard about the 5,000 people uh, minimum who, who ate all that food. Right. Uh, the quick memory loss there. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, it is it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they say, well, from now on, give us this bread. Right. And Jesus says, I am the bread of of life he who comes to me will never go hungry he who believes in me will never be thirsty remember the the samaritan woman at the well earlier in john jesus talks about the living water and he'll make streams of living water and that he refers to himself as having that power well he's obviously not saying that he is literal water he's talking in in symbolic in spiritual uh, terms and language that he's using here. So I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, uh, you have seen me and you still do not believe. And he, he goes on. And, and verse 41, at this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they say, well, isn't this Jesus who's, you know, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Curious reference to Joseph there uh, uh, in John chapter 7. Uh, how can he say, I came down from heaven? And Jesus says, stop grumbling. And he continues and he says it again. I am the bread of life. Verse 48, not saying anything about blood there. I am the bread of life. Here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die does he mean literally not physically die well obviously not i am the living bread that came down from heaven living water living bread if anyone eats of this bread he will live forever this bre bread is my flesh which i give for the life of the world 
And then he gets into the passage about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. So, you know, you have Jesus calling himself the door, the gate, uh, the bread of life, the shepherd, uh, the um, uh, uh, the the light of the world. Uh, all of these things are are images and pictures to show us who he is, right? And this is clear as we read the broader context of John chapter six. But let's let's just say that we're wrong. And let's just say that, well, no, the right way of interpreting this is Jesus wants us to literally eat his, you know, flesh and drink his blood. Let's just say that that's what it is. And let's just say that maybe our Roman Catholic friends are right. And that at the at the, the Lord's table, you know, there's a time where that that wafer actually becomes the literal flesh of Jesus and that juice actually becomes the literal blood of Jesus. Or maybe our Lutheran friends are right. And while the while the substance doesn't become Jesus's body and Jesus's blood, it, 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 it his presence is there. Uh, and, but it doesn't literally become that. And great uh, great point, uh, Patrick. Give us this day our daily bread. This is more than a reference uh, to simply physical bread that we need. He's talking about our sustenance, our provision, right? It's an it's an image. It's a word picture to draw a greater meaning. Um, so, but let's just say we're wrong. Let's just say maybe the, our Roman Catholic friends are right. Maybe our Lutheran friends are right. And we've got this passage interpreted wrong. And, you know, he means it as literally eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Okay. Again, talking about context and how you read the Bible. Do you know how offensive this would be to Jewish people? It's cannibalism. The, the pagans practiced cannibalism. Okay. And that would be, uh, the most of offensive and abhorrent kind of, of paganism talking about cannibalism there uh, you know how offensive that would be do you know how that doctrine would prohibit so many Jewish people from following Jesus and yet we do not see uh, this uh, argued or discussed uh, talked about at all in the rest of the New Testament this way if Jesus had meant it this way and he was literally teaching that we literally have to eat his literal flesh and eat his and drink his literal blood. And somehow these things, these these elements were supernaturally transformed uh, for a time at a communion ceremony. I mean, you would have some serious pushback in the New Testament. You would have some serious discussion about it from the Apostle Paul, who was Jewish. You would have Jesus seriously clarify this. You would have people talking about this at the Last Supper and saying, excuse me, like, how are we supposed to do this? This is clearly not the way this is interpreted in the rest of Scripture. So you follow the doctrine, you follow the concept, you follow the idea of through the rest of scripture and you see what you find so you get to luke 22 and you look at jesus teaching about the last supper in the last supper and this is what he says verse 17 luke chapter 22 after taking the cup he gave thanks and said take this and divide it among you for i will not drink i will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of god comes and he took the bread gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying this is my body given for you do this in remembrance 
of me. We'll stop there for just a moment, right? So this is a Jewish Passover. So you have a symbol at the table in the in the unleavened bread. Jesus takes it and he says, take it and eat. He doesn't say take and nibble on my you know, forearm. He says, you take and you eat this bread. This is my body. So he adds this meaning to this ancient symbol. And he says, this is my body. This is a new meaning. He's not, however, saying you have to eat, you know, as, uh, Peter, you start at the, my finger and, you know, uh, James, you know, you can have my forearm. No, he takes this symbolic uh, uh, item and he, he, he adds more meaning to it by saying that this is my body. This is a representation of my body. This is a symbol of my body. The Jews understood it for hundreds into a couple of millennia, hundreds of years into a couple of millennia, I suppose, uh, depending on when you date the Exodus, as being a symbol. Jesus is not saying that now you got to eat me. No, you're eating, you're eating a, 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 a wafer, a piece of unleavened bread, and there is a representation behind this. There's a picture behind this, right? And so he he continues and he says, uh, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. He doesn't say this cup. Uh, he doesn't even say this cup is my blood. He says this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. What is poured out for you? My blood. This cup, therefore, represents my blood, right? That's That would be a pretty basic way to understand it. But the hand of him who's going to betray me is with mine at the table. The Son of Man will go down, has been declared or decreed. But woe to that man who betrays him. And then look at the reaction. They began to question themselves uh, which of them it might be who would do this. And then you get a dispute as to which of them would be the greatest. But you have no dispute as to what Jesus meant by saying, this is my body. Uh, do this in remembrance of me. Uh, and Paul would would uh, would repeat it that way. You can also see this type of thing in Matthew and Mark's rendering of the account. Uh, it's clear that he, while he is adding more meaning to it, he is not trying to teach that we have to start eating his literal flesh and drinking his literal blood. Otherwise, it would be a huge ruckus at the dinner table right there at the Last Supper. And there certainly was not. And then we go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we look at how Paul uh, uh, taught this, Paul, a Jew, again, and he's teaching the Corinthians because of their abuse of the Lord's table. He says, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of of me. So when you eat the bread, you are remembering me. You're not eating my literal flesh. He doesn't say that. He says, you are remembering me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And this is, he's repeating the words of Jesus. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So you are remembering me by eating the uh the um uh, the bread and drinking the uh the cup uh, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you do what you proclaim the lord's death until he comes 
He doesn't say, whenever you do this, you are literally eating, you know, my flesh and drinking my uh, literal blood. He doesn't say that. And then he even continues, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. And he elaborates what that means, talking about the application for the church, the community, and how they were mistreating one another and so on. And they need to have regard for one another or they will be judged. Uh, but in no way is he trying to argue that uh, these emblems literally become Jesus's literal flesh and Jesus's literal blood. This would be an absolutely offensive thing, uh, uh, certainly to the Jewish people. But again, if we have a doctrine and we think we're interpreting it one way, okay, follow that interpretation through the rest of Scripture, using a, a historical grammatical approach, which is a standard approach that we use to to the Bible, and see, and you will find that that will sift out a faulty interpretation of the text, and that's what you call hermeneutics. That's how you learn to interpret Scripture. Um, I can tell you, coming from a Jewish background, you you talk to a Jewish person about this, and and the the concept of uh, transubstantiation or consubstantiation where the emblems, you know, either become Jesus's body, Jesus's blood, or he's very present uh, there almost in a magical sense. And they will think you're from Mars. They will say that's totally un-Jewish. And it is. It, it has no, no bearing uh, on on what they understand, and it would have it would have offended so many people back then if this is what uh, Jesus intended. So I think clearly we have a strong case using a proper approach to the Scripture to say that indeed, as these emblems were symbolic for hundreds of years into probably two millennia uh, since the beginning of the Exodus until Jesus's day, he most certainly kept them symbolic, but he added. Uh, uh, himself as being referred to by the symbol. Okay, so I hope that that helps answer this question. It is a it is a a very good question, and you know while while uh, I I have some agreements, uh, you know, with uh, my Lutheran friends and and even my Roman Catholic friends, we don't agree on everything, and there are some there are some profound differences at the same time. I remember one time I did a um, I did a funeral. Uh, with a Roman Catholic priest, and uh, we were in a Roman Catholic church, and we and we did this funeral together. I actually had to sing in the funeral. They had this big pipe organ, and uh, this lady playing this amazing organ, and uh, just on the fly I had to sing. And I think another lady sang too. She had a voice like an angel. I, I remember that part of the funeral. Uh, but I also remember sitting next to this this Roman Catholic priest, and uh, there came a time in the funeral where there was some sort of incense uh, burning uh, part to it and something about the person's, you know, name in the book of life and this tradition that they follow. And he said, he turned to me and he said, do you want to do this part? I said, mm, no, thanks, you know, because I totally, A, didn't understand what he was talking about and B, probably completely disagreed with what he was talking about. Uh, so he did that part, you know, and I did my part and we tried to, to honor the person and, and bless the family. But um, at the same time, you know, we have a, we have a, a, a Bible and we, we read the Bible a certain way. How do you read it? 
how do you interpret it? When your approach is good, when your hermeneutic, to use that fancy word, is sound, at the end of the day, you know, most of the time you're going to come out with the right interpretation and thus the right application of the text for your life. And that's when it changes your life is when you've got it understood. The, the, the spirit will help you and, and illuminate the text for you uh, so that it becomes uh, more powerful and more useful. Uh, in your life, okay? Uh, wow, you've been quiet, but you've hung in there. Uh, so I'll wait a little bit and see if there's any more any more questions that pop up here. Um, and remember again, okay, at the end of April, remember again, we are back at the movie theater on May the 2nd. You can use our church website to register. We're also going to stream it. We have been working hard on our stream. We've had a couple of interesting bugs the last couple of weeks, but uh, it's because we're refining it, making it better. And so we stream everything now. Uh, even when we're back in person, we still stream it, and we're going to con continue to do that. So whether you're in person or whether you're online, I encourage you to join with us. And also on uh, Wednesday night, we have a video Bible study that we are going through called That the World May Know and uh, several volumes of material actually and it, it, you talk about interpreting the Bible correctly in context that's what they do in this video series shot on location in the Holy Land and in uh, Greece and Turkey and uh, uh, all the places that we see mentioned in the Bible or most of them and we're doing a little series uh, about the early church that uh, it talks about some of the churches actually in the book of Revelation. It's not a Revelation study, but we had a great a great time last uh, Wednesday, and we're going to do it again this coming Wednesday night. So um, you should have, if you're on our mailing list, you should have received the Zoom link. If you have not, you can get that link by uh, going to our website. On the homepage, you will see an image that you can click on. I will get a uh, notification and I will send you that Zoom link anyway, okay? So the Lord bless you tonight. Let me pray for you before we finish. God, we thank you. And um, whoever's on right now, Lord, the handful of people, I pray your blessing upon their lives and upon their homes, upon their households and their families. I pray that uh, you would help us to draw nearer to you, be closer to you, be passionate followers of you, to put you first in our lives and to depend on you, to have communion with you, uh, to be so close to you, uh, Lord, that it would be like eating and drinking. It would be a fellowship, a dependency, a, a hunger that is, that is filled, a thirst that is quenched. Uh, because of your presence in our lives and because of the relationship that we have with you. So help us, God, to keep you first, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all and uh, look forward to being with you again. We'll pick it up again next week on Monday night at 7 o'clock. Until then, God bless you, everyone.